I'm Jim Juno, and this is Lights, Camera, Author. On January 1st, 1967, a new contract between Colonel Tom Parker and his sole client, Elvis Presley, gave Parker a 50% cut of royalties and profits that Presley generated. It was an unashamed grab for a bigger piece of a pie that had actually been shrinking for some time. Parker's plan to re-establish Presley as a star after he left the army in 1960 had been successful at first, with the success of films like G.I. Blues and Blue Hawaii and their soundtracks. But as the decade progressed, the film became formulaic, the music bland, and sales declined. Yet by the end of 1968, Presley was artistically revitalized, re-emerging in a TV comeback special of December that year, slimmed down for the new iconic black leather suit and playing country soul-influenced rock like he meant it and loved it. In Return of the King, Gillian Gar shows how Presley reclaimed his crown, making an extraordinary transition from fading middle-of-the-road balladeer to engaged vital artist. And I talked to her about her book, Return of the King. Gillian Gar, you are you are the author. Um, I don't know now. I don't know if this is a new book or if it's a reissued book. But on Amazon, it had a publication date of July fifth, twenty twenty-two, and it's called Elvis: The Legend, the authorized book from the official Graceland archive. Um, that that's a reissue. It was it first came out, and I should have had the year here to know, but. It first came out maybe in 2010 or no, it would have been after that, but at least 10 years ago, I think. And the first edition was called Elvis Remembered. Mm -hmm. And it was packaged in like a box. It was very fancy. It had a box and the book itself was different. It was the same text, but it had all kinds of facsimile memorabilia, you know, like a reproduction of Elvis's library card, things like Mm -hmm. that, that had in there. some of the longtime fans might remember there was a book that came out called The Elvis Treasures by Robert Gordon. And Elvis Presley Enterprises wanted to do an updated version. And so they contacted a publisher that I had previously worked with and worked with them at putting that together. Uh, So it had, whereas the previous book really was strictly chronological. This one, mine is more thematic and you had chapters about themes, like a chapter about the movies and a chapter about Hawaii, because I like Elvis in Hawaii. And so that first edition was in the box with the vaccine memorabilia. And I think it even had a DVD, oh. uh, but then they republished it without all those extras. Um, and I know they've given it a couple different titles. In fact, let me see what mine is, yeah. Yeah, mine is Elvis the Legend. Elvis the Legend, okay. Elvis the Legend. And um, it's the same text. I didn't do any updating. And from what I can tell, I didn't do a side-by-side comparison, but it looks pretty much like it uses the same photos. So it's cheaper. Oh, go ahead. Hmm? (laughs) And it's cheaper. Yes. (laughs) Now, the book we're talking about today is Return of the King, Elvis Presley's Great Comeback. And this was originally published. There it is. This was originally published in 2010. And I believe this was your first book on Elvis, wasn't it? Um, yes. Yes, it was. It was. I'd written about him a lot before, but that was for magazines. So, yes, it was my first book. It's actually one of my favorite books out of yeah. all, the, all the ones I've done. 
And for those of you who are uneducated, we're talking about Elvis Presley. Okay, so uh, <laughs> in case you've been living under a rock for the past for the past forty years, um, and there's a new movie out, Elvis, starring Austin Butler and Tom Hanks. Um, have you seen the movie? Yes. Yeah. Oh, in fact, I've seen it twice. <laughs> twice. Okay. <laughs> so let me ask you. For, let me before we start talking about the book, I got to ask you, what's your thoughts on the movie? Well. Um, I think if you didn't know anything about Elvis before, you'd probably be really dazzled and amazed by it. Um, because I know so much about him, of course, you're watching, you say, oh, they left out this, they compressed that and that kind of thing. So you're sort of picky from, from that perspective. I think Paz Lerman sort of reined himself in a bit. I mean, if you saw Moulin Rouge, that just got totally crazy. And while there's some of that in this new one, definitely, it's not quite as much um but I, I thought austin butler was great uh it's you know he's got that oscar nomination i i wow. predict that i'm not the first to say it i'm sure um tom hanks's character i thought was kind of strange i mean they made colonel parker have this weird accent that he didn't really have mm -hmm. um and he just he just seemed kind of odd and at times kind of more hapless than the real colonel was so, you know, I had kind of mixed feelings about that, but, but, and I know some people, they don't, I've read online things on Facebook forums and stuff about people not wanting to see it because it didn't have this in or that in. And well, biopics do that a lot. And, and actually, I think because of all the, the visual extravaganza about it, if you want to see it, I think you should go and see it in a theater because um, you'll see it at its best advantage. Okay, I read so it's going to stream on, you know, one of the networks later, HBO or something. And, and yeah, that's fine. But um, I think to see it in a full in a theater, you'll get like the full dazzling experience of it. And with the sound and the music and everything, too. Yeah, yeah, that that too. Most people, some people have an amazing home theater system, but <laughs> not everyone does. The book Return of the King. And now this book begins in January 1967. And Elvis's career... Let's face it, at that point in time, it was dead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he stuck making these movies, which are not very good. The music in the movies are not very, is not very good. Um, it was a career standstill for him, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, you think about everything else going on in that year. You had um, Sergeant Pepper, of course, that's the big one. And Jimi Hendrix uh, was breaking through with Purple Haze and the other things. Beach Boys with the Pet Sounds album, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was 66, but still, oh, okay. feeling in there. Um, you know who the top act of, this, of 67 was? The Monkeys. The Monkeys, yeah, the Monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you had this more sort of high-end rock with the Beatles, the more intellectual kind of stuff, maybe. But then with pop rock, you had the Monkeys that were selling. And there just, there wasn't any place for Elvis. Right. And so he, you know, and it, a lot of it, would you say a lot of it dealt with Colonel Parker and hit, I don't want to say mismanagement, but it was almost like an old timey management in that, in that particular era. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when Elvis came back from the army in 1960 and Parker got his career going again. And, you know, initially it looked like things were going well, uh, GI Blues and comes out and that's a big success. And so is the soundtrack and Elvis is back. It doesn't do as well as GI Blues, but it, you know, it still sells a lot. And then Blue Hawaii, you know, it, it seemed like 
things were going fine for him. But then, you know, I think the problem was that he signed Elvis up to these long-term contracts with the films just at the time that the studio system is breaking down. And by the end of the 70s, there is no studio system anymore. But Elvis was um, just locked into these things. Uh, I'm rereading Alana Nash's book, The Colonel, which has just come out with a new afterword. It's her biography of Colonel Parker. And uh, in the early 60s, some a promoter is, is calling the colonel to see if he can get Elvis to perform somewhere. And the colonel goes, oh, well, he's tied up for the next three years. And you think, wow, you know, you're tied up like that. You're not able to respond to changes going on around you. Um, and I guess Elvis didn't know how to kick back against that enough because the Beatles were signed up to do three films. And, you know, it took them the rest of the decade to get that done because <laughs> they just couldn't find a, a third movie script that they liked. But but they were able to say, no, we are not going to do more movies. Um, but and Elvis that's... wasn't able to stand up to Parker like that. And, yeah, I think it was a shame to lock Elvis into that, you know, year, year, year after year after year. And they that's get... a mis- And I want to say I'm going to call it a mistake. That was a mistake Colonel Parker did. Again, later in Elvis's uh, career, uh, we'll get to that in a few minutes because um, I'm talking about the Vegas uh, uh, period, you. you know, but um, we'll get to that in, in a few moments. So, so his career is at a standstill. Um, it's in the doldrums. He's, he's losing confidence in himself. He wants to be taken as a serious actor. That's not happening. Um, but then suddenly there comes the TV special, which I'm reading your, I was reading your book and this is something that it took some of the control that Colonel Parker had away from Colonel Parker uh, from, from, from the get go. Am I right? Am I yes. right? In oh that? yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, you know, it wouldn't have become the special it was if, uh, if it had been in control. <laughs> and when he, I talked to, Oh, I was going to say, oh. when I talked to Steve Binder, who was the director, when he first met with Parker, Parker said, well, you know, I want it to be a traditional Christmas special like this. And Steve listened to him, but he thought, I don't want to make that kind of show. So that's why the show ended up being the way it was, because Steve wasn't going to make a program like that. He had no interest in it. And he also, you know, he had a fearlessness that we can say, you know, Elvis didn't have that. I, I know Steve said to me, I thought to myself, What's the worst they could do? Fire me? Well, then they'll fire me. So he wasn't scared about being fired. So when that's your attitude, you have you really have a lot of freedom. <laughs> and Bender had a had a resume. He uh, he was in Shindig. I mean, he helped uh, put on. Well, he he did the Tammy movie, uh, the Tammy show. Yeah, yeah. As those who and, don't know, T A M I Teenage Music International was a big concert film. That was done a few years earlier, 64, I think, or so. Mm-hmm. And the Rolling Stones are on the bill and James Brown and everyone else that was big at that time that they could get. Yeah, I, Leslie I, Gore. I was, yeah, Leslie Gore. Chuck Berry. And, um, so it was probably the first, it was certainly one of the first major concert films. Actually, that'd be interesting to look at. I don't know if there had been a concert film released before. Not in that. Future-length concert film? Yeah. That not... might have been the first. I don't believe there was one before that. I mean, I know there was, I know that you had some rock music in some, in some movies like rock around the clock and uh, can't, what is it? Can't stop the rock, something like that, you know, but. Yeah, um, and rock, rock, rock. That was rock, another one. <laughs> yes. And they all had Bill Haley in, you know, <laughs> but. And Chuck um, Berry and, and Alan Chuck, Freed. 
Right. And so, but the Tammy show was different because it was, it was basically a concert. And um, that was, that was Steve Bender. He was also on Shindig, I believe too, wasn't he? Yeah, Hullabaloo. Hullabaloo. Okay. I get those two confused. Yeah, it'd be easy to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For those of you who are a certain age out there listening to this, Shindig and Hullabaloo were, were like uh, American Bandstand before American Bandstand got big. And um, let me, so Bender comes in and, sa- and you know, basically tells Elvis, your career is in the toilet. <laughs> you know, and and, Elvis appreciated that. You know, he appreciated getting an honest answer. Yeah, and that's, he said, that's what, uh, what was it that, that you wrote that you said that uh, that's what, was that the point that Elvis said, let's do it? Um, because Elvis wasn't sure he wanted to do a TV show. Yeah, he hadn't had good experiences with television. And uh, let's see, Steve said, he said to him, well, Elvis said, you know, I'm not comfortable on television. My habitat's the recording studio. And Bender said, well, you make a record and I'll make a show. I'll make a TV show. And so then he thought, oh, okay, I'm in good hands. I think he felt that, that Bender would respect him and wanted to give him something that was worthy of his talent. See, and, ben, and you know, I, I don't know. Did you, did you lose respect for Elvis Presley? in this writing this book because it seemed like Elvis did not have the wherewithal to take control of his own career. You know, he was very dependent upon the Colonel. And later on, you know, like I remember a passage later on in your book, you said that um, when he put a cigarette in his mouth, there were three people with lighters <laughs> waiting to light it for him. You know, I mean, he, he didn't, he just didn't, if he had some gumption to tell the Colonel, Hey, you know, I want to do this. Would he have done it? Well, it, it's very frustrating to read that. Uh, I mean, certainly you see, when you read about Elvis's relationship with the Colonel, you get a hint of this in the movie. Um, but it's almost like when Parker made his alliance with him, he just then just started carefully keeping him away from anyone else that might threaten his, that's Parker's, control over him. So soon he's in this bubble and probably himself thought he didn't know how to get out of it. I mean, the one thing, um, and this came later, but uh, when he did the, when he went back to Vegas in 69 and does his season there, and that was very successful, sold out, totally sold out. So as a bonus, the hotel gave him an all expenses paid trip to Hawaii. So he goes to Hawaii with his wife, Priscilla, and some of the entourage. And they're having so much fun, they thought, well, let's go further. You know, let's go to Europe. Let's take a trip. Because he didn't have any other commitments until the next year, actually. And uh, so they were going to go overseas. And when Parker heard about it, he said Elvis shouldn't go. He said, you know, you shouldn't go overseas because you've never performed over there. And it will insult your fans if you just go over there as a tourist first before going over to perform. Now, that's the one that really floored me. Because yeah. that's nothing to do with his professional life. That's his personal life. And Elvis actually backed down and didn't go overseas. Yeah. And I just I... thought, wow, <laughs> you know, this man has too much control over you <laughs> and what you're doing. <laughs> See, and, that, and that struck me too when I read that. I was like, I was like, well, he doesn't have his own life. He's yeah. he's got Parker's life, you know. And <laughs> and of course, Parker, you know, uh, I mean, if you look. If you look at pictures of Elvis Presley, almost in 
not in every single photo, but in a lot of photos, you'll see Parker right over his right shoulder. <laughs> Looming. Looming. Yeah. <laughs> almost, you know, you know, I'm like, <laughs> and you know, he, that is it. Did that surprise you when you were, when you were researching the book? You know, you know, that one anecdote we've just been talking about that really did, although actually I, I would have read that before I worked on the book because I read that story in Peter Guralnik's biographies of Elvis. It would be in volume two. Uh, so that was the first place I read that. I realized, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> um, but yeah, in doing the book, you just, it just made me think how, in a way, we almost got this great work out of Elvis almost in spite of his talent, not because of it, because Parker just controlled him so much. I mean, the special came off really well, but he, Steve was never able to get through to Elvis again. He was, he was kept from him. No, he uh, was, yeah. I remember reading yeah. that, that he was, he was persona non grata in Elvis world. I, I think he's, Europe. yeah, he's described himself that way. Same thing with um, Chips Moment. Not that Chips was shut out. Chips was a record producer who, sure, we'll get to that next, who, after the comeback special, Elvis recorded in Memphis uh, at um, American oh. Sound Studio, which Chips ran, and that's where he did Suspicious Minds, Kentucky Rain, In the Ghetto, all these big songs he hadn't had a big hit like that in years. And uh, again, Chips was just uh, very forceful. And th that was one thing, I guess, in researching this, it just, it gave you a sense of how cloistered Elvis was and that um, Chips was told, oh, don't tell Elvis how to sing his part. And uh, Felton I, Jarvis was doing that, wasn't he? I mean, that was, that was Felton Jarvis. Yeah, yeah, Felton told him that. And, and Chips, of course, was not a man to take any directions like that. And if he felt Elvis needed to sing a line again, he'd just say, you know, maybe you can do that again. And Elvis, Elvis had no problem with it. I mean, he was a professional too. And Chips was communicating this in a professional way. He's not coming down on him. He's just saying, maybe you want to sing it again. Okay, so Elvis sings it again and it was no problem. Yeah. Um, but that was just, so it just makes you think. He was, you mentioned the, the three cigarettes be, or the lighters when Elvis had his cigarette there, his cigar. And just being coddled like that, sort of, oh, don't say anything that, that might upset him, except a lot of those things wouldn't upset him. They <laughs> like were just Chip so saying, scared. You could, yeah. you could sing that line again. And fine, he was happy to do it. See, and, you know, he mentioned that, you know, there was, this was a momentum which was building after the 68, so first off, before the 68 special aired, he wrote that even Elvis wasn't sure how it was going to be received. Uh, he would go out to the fans that were waiting outside, I think, in Los Angeles. Or, or Graceland and say, well, you, are you going to watch it? Are you going <laughs> to, are you going? You know, I'm like, yeah, people are going to watch it. Okay. Um, you well, know, but go ahead. One of those fans I interviewed, uh, Sandy Miller, who mm -hmm. was living in LA by that time. And she'd go up to Elvis's house and got to know him over the years. And uh, was there, saw the taping of the shows, the sit down and stand up shows. And just, yeah, she remembered how nervous he was he gave the fans out, he gave the fans tickets that were waiting there, you know, to come see it. And that the day after he'd be like, was I okay? Are you sure I was good? And you know, if you've seen those performances, they're all available now on DVD. The, the crowd's thrilled to have him there and they give him a good response. It's not half-hearted applause because we're in a studio. They're obviously really excited to be there. Um, yeah. Then again, a lot of, a lot of entertainers have that kind of insecurity. I'm, I mean, you've, you've probably read about this too. People, like an actor, they win an Oscar and then they just think, 
well, I don't have a job right now. Am I going to get hired again? <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and now you mentioned after now after the special airs, it starts momentum. People start rediscovering Elvis Presley. He goes to Memphis, and they want him to go to Nashville and record. But he he says, "No, I want to go to Memphis. I want to stay in Memphis." So he goes to American Recording Studio, and um, you know it, it struck me that after that he goes out to he goes out he gets locked in. Like when I mentioned it earlier. We were going to talk about the long. This is another mistake I thought Colonel Parker made. He locks Elvis Presley into a, is it a five-year contract with the International Hotel? Yeah, yeah, it was actually. I think believe it was. Yeah, five years. Five years. And he has to perform seven days a week, uh, two shows, I think, on Sunday. I think Wait. it was two shows most nights. Two shows most nights. Okay, yeah, the so, dinner show and then the midnight show. So he's locked into this for four months, <laughs> working seven days a week, two shows a night. <laughs> That's when things start, the wheels start coming off, don't they? With personal yeah. life and professional life. Well, after 73, he's, well, I guess in 73, probably, you know, he starts, then he starts missing dates. Some of those Vegas engagements were cut short. Uh, because he became ill because of, you know, he wasn't in the best health. I think, um, I think in a way the, the touring and cause he wasn't just in Vegas. He was also performing. He began performing around the country. Um, I forgot my train of thought there, but just the, Oh, I, the touring became the new movies. I think mm -hmm. in a way it just became another treadmill for him. One, one thing, that was a mistake of Parker's, though now we know why he did this. Uh, Vegas, or Elvis starts in Vegas. He has some good seasons there. Then in, I think it's February 70, after that Vegas season, he does some shows in Houston. In the fall, he does a short US tour, which, which makes sense, you know, okay, we've done a uh, residency. Let's see what it's like on the road. Once the tours get established, you tour more widely in the country. And then what do you do after that? You go overseas, Jeez, yeah. you know, that would build the, mo keep the momentum going and also give Elvis another challenge because we see, <clears throat> well, say with the comeback special and the 69 season and even the Aloha from Hawaii show, you know, he worked to look good for that show. Oh, and yeah. so going overseas would have given him that additional challenge. And, and now, you know, they say, well, they didn't go overseas because Parker couldn't go because he was an illegal alien. Um, Though that also, I was thinking about this recently as I'm reading this book, I thought, well, you know, it wasn't essential that your manager be there. A lot of times groups tour and their manager isn't there. Uh, maybe the manager will be in the big cities that they go to, but the manager, you know, is at the home base taking care of other business. Right. So Parker didn't have to be there with him, although he was used to being so, and maybe that would have been hard to give up. But, you know, Parker didn't have to be there with him. They could have set up a tour. Right. And 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 later on in the book, everybody knows the story about Elvis Presley with the drugs and everything like that. You know, Dr. Nicopolis starts prescribing drugs and, he, and other doctors give him drugs and he gains weight. The performances start to go downhill. The thing that struck me was that was that um, <laughs> he he had a pound of bacon for breakfast one day. <laughs> Which, I don't know why that's, I mean, I, I read that. I was like, what is this on man versus food? I mean, 
<laughs> I mean, not just it wasn't just the drugs; it was his diet, which was which was really killing him. Well, yeah. Sometimes when I talk to friends about um, visiting Memphis, <laughs> I said to one, you know. You can't be a vegetarian in the South, I don't think, because they even fry the vegetables there. They <laughs> fry the vegetables. You know, you got fried green tomatoes. You got fried okra. Um, so you, yes, you have you have all those fried things. Certainly, the diet. So, yeah, the diet was was definitely an issue. Had <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> he taken not a single drug at all, the diet would still be an issue. Exactly. It it left me feeling sad. I was. Yeah. It it made me think we were cheated out of a out of a more legendary performances or, or a bigger career than what he could have had. Yeah. Um, about, let's see, when was this? I guess it was in 2015. I saw Neil Diamond and he was, I'd never seen him before. And he was touring whatever his new album was. I can't remember. He, I think he, even he joked about that. Well, here's the one or two songs for my new album. <laughs> um, but he was at, um, it was then called the Coliseum in Seattle typical big arena like most cities have 15,000 or so um and it was a good show you know he he did all the songs he's well known for a couple of new ones and uh had a great band Ronnie Tut was his drummer Elvis's drummer through his touring years and I was watching as I was watching him I thought now this is the kind of career that Elvis should have had yeah. you know if he'd have got himself cleaned up and uh carried on by that time 2015 you know, Neil Diamond is not writing new hits, but he has this catalog of beloved work. And um, he was big enough that he, he could play a larger arena than just say the casinos. That's usually where some of these bands end up, the casinos across the country, because they're smaller and you don't have to draw as big a crowd. But he could, he could draw that big a crowd. Um, or, you know, you see Paul McCartney doing the same thing. Yeah. Uh, he tours and again, has a tremendous catalog and he does a few new things. But, you know, it's mostly the older stuff, but um, it feels like more of an oldie show because he gets a, a good hot band with him and Neil Diamond had the same thing. And, you know, you could have seen Elvis doing the same kind of thing. Exactly. And that's what, you know, and so I, I tell you what, and you got to show people your earrings again. You're <laughs> taking care of business earrings and necklace. and <laughs> <laughs> Taking care of business. I, I yeah. Probably, you know. Yes, also anyway. the TCB necklace. That you that got I, from Graceland. I got that at Graceland. It's not made of gold and diamonds like the ones Elvis gave out, but. <laughs> well, I tell you, Jillian Gar, I appreciate you being on Light to Camera Author with me tonight. The book is, well, the book we were talking about is Return of the King, Elvis Presley's Great Comeback, and the new reissue is Elvis the Legend. And you can find both these books on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or wherever books, wherever you buy your books from. And there's one more, a uh, hundred things Elvis fans should know and do before they die. All right. Let's, yes. That's, that's more a, a trivia type thing. It has a hundred short listings, uh, different aspects of his life. Fantastic. Well, Julian, thanks again for being here tonight. Well, thank you. I had fun. Return of the King, Elvis Presley's Great Comeback, is written by Jillian Gar and published by Jawbone Press. Until next time, I'm Jim Juno, and this has been Light Camera Author.